You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Play ball! Worldwide Sports Radio presents Moffitt on the Mic. Allow me to introduce myself. With Craig Moffitt. How you doing, everybody? It is good to be back on Worldwide Sports Radio Network on a Wednesday night. You are listening to the Moffat on the Mic radio show. And as always, the number to call is 631-676-2968. That is 631-676-2968. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and our Facebook page as well. I am Craig Moffat, and it wouldn't be a Wednesday night without Chris Clem. What's going on, Craig? How are you, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Had a good day. Fired up today, man. Pitchers and catchers have reported. I'm ready. We are right back. We are back with baseball. And uh, I couldn't be more fired up for pitchers and catchers. And that's, and that's, what's, that's what's funny about baseball is, like, you get so fired up for, like, when they start reporting, right? Because you know the season's right around the corner. Yeah. And an opening day comes and, like, you're, you know, you're excited to if you go to the game or if you don't go to the game, whatever. And then after that, you know, then you go into that lull. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you get to like late April to May, you kind of like the first week dies down for opening week and all that stuff, home opener and all that. And then you get into like May and then you just kind of like, all right, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll check back with the Mets and Yankees <laughs> later, you know, until like June or July or something like that. But it's always a fun time. Baseball's always a fun time. The Mets are definitely uh, it'll be an interesting bunch this year. Yankees will definitely be the Yankees. And uh, tonight we're going to have a special guest. We're going to have Newsday beat writer for the Mets, Mr. Tim Healy. He's going to join us in about a half an hour right here on the Moffat on the Mic radio show. So we got a lot of questions for him. So um, big news, Clem. AEW sold out in five minutes. That's huge. That's that a monster. Huge. It, what I heard was is that the pre-sale sold out in like 25 minutes. And when the rest of the tickets were on sale, sold out in like five minutes. That's so, huge. That's I mean, big. That's a big deal. And Keith had sent me something today that they're they had talked to Jericho, and that they're not on the verge of a TV deal yet, but they are like sifting through some offers for TV deals. And Jericho pretty much said, "It's we're going to have a TV deal, you know, but it may not be more until the end of the year, probably like October, like September, October." So I think the idea is just to get through the double or nothing pay-per-view and then take the next step forward with AEW. What I heard was in terms of what deal they might get, like with what companies, I've heard TBS, Paramount, formerly known as Spike. Um, I think Sci-Fi. Paramount would be good for them. Paramount would be good because that's where Impact used to be. And they're going to air on Tuesdays. It's going to be called, I think, Tuesday Night Dynamite or something weird like that. That's a great name, but... I don't think Tuesdays would be should be their spot. I think they should go Thursdays. Okay. I think Thursdays because look, you got Monday Night Raw, you got Tuesday Night SmackDown, Wednesday nights for the hardcore fans who watch NXT. That's NXT night. Yeah. And then Thursday night they would do, or they could do Thursday Night Dynamite. That'd be still good. Nah, it makes sense. I mean, thing is, by the time Thursday comes, you might be a little tired out from wrestling. That's true. And I think at the same time, I do think they want to challenge WWE. They're going to try to at least. It makes more sense to go after SmackDown. Yeah, like the lesser brand. Because I don't think SmackDown has... Obviously, SmackDown doesn't have the bigger following as Raw does. Yeah. But it makes more sense to go after SmackDown. And SmackDown, apparently, from what I read, is going to be on Fox Sports 1, 
when they debut on Fox. They're not no. going to be on Fox Channel 5. Oh, see, that's a that's a big deal then. Because everyone was thinking, oh, it's Fox, it's Channel 5, everyone, like, it's one of the major networks. But now, I mean, look, I know it's only, you know, Fox Sports 1, but... But still. That's, that's mean, a big difference. Yeah. That's a huge difference. All right, Clem, let's kick it off like we always do with a little Four Local. I like how you put our teams. <laughs> oh, I absolutely put our teams. See, I was tr- I was trying to incorporate every team. Like I was trying to put the the Knicks in, the Rangers, the Giants, but it ended up being like like a forty second intro, and I was like, oh, I, I can't even do that. This is I already think this is long enough at twenty seconds. And, yeah. And I, if I had every other team, I, you know what the funny thing? I could not find a Nets call. They're not easy to find. You got to get like the Iron Eagle calls from like the Yes Network or something. They were very, very hard to find. Like the one I did find was like D'Angelo. I was trying, I was trying to stay relevant with it, it sounding good, but like I couldn't even find a Let's Go Nets. I couldn't find uh, Brooklyn. Like Brooklyn. I, I found some of those, but they sound like crap. So I was like, because it's at the, you know why? Because it's all it is 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 the fans. That's why yeah. there's no announcer like kind of in. So definitely, it sounds like it's really far away. Yeah, I couldn't. I yeah, and the one like D'Angelo Russell call I found was it just it was just him and anything. It was like D'Angelo Russell three pointer, and that was it. Like nothing crazy. <laughs> I was just like, I can't. I'm not even gonna use that. All right, fair enough. It's a work in progress. You'll you'll <laughs> figure it out either way. So, all right, so let's get into four local. These are the four local New York topics of the day for the Moffat on the Mic show on this Wednesday night. Number one, uh, Jacob deGrom is apparently, as Jacob deGrom's agents have told the Mets that they will have, uh, they are basically giving them a cutoff of opening day to work out a new extension. After that, they will table it until after the year. Jacob deGrom is a free agent after the 2020 season. We'll get into this a little bit more with Tim Healy when uh, he comes on at uh, 1030. Um to be brutally honest about this, I don't think either. I don't think the Mets are under any uh, pressure to give Degrom an extension right this minute. I understand that Degrom won the Cy Young last year. I understand that Degrom had a monster year for the Mets last year, and if he was on a better team last year, he would have had an easy 17-18 wins. Um, but that being said, though, he's under team control for another two years. I don't see the rush into. Getting this done, mm-hmm. I think they will get it done. I think the fact that the Mets gave him seventeen million dollars for this year in arbitration is a huge sign that they'll get it done. I, you know what I think it is. I think it's Met fans panicking. It's like, of you course, know, you know what it is. It's just like you know because it's like we finally have someone in our control. This is our guy. He's thirty years old. He's still decently young. I mean, he's not like thirty six or anything like that. He just won the Cy Young. He's a top top five pitcher in all of baseball. I think people are just afraid of like you know if we don't extend him now he's going to walk away at the end of his contract. That's fair, but at the same time I say to myself, Brody was his agent. Mm-hmm. I don't think Brody's going to want to piss off Degrom. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is nothing has told me about Brody Van Wagenen that he's not going to be aggressive in this deal. Yeah, I think he will try to get a deal done. I just think that again you got to run it by the owners. What do they feel comfortable offering the guy? You know, if you remember, the last few years, a few big contracts for the Mets have crashed and burned. David Wright, Mm -hmm. Yoannis Cespedes, 
They've all crashed and burned. Yeah, the big contracts the Mets have given out, they rarely give out big contracts. And you're right, absolutely have burned. Now, Th- those are just a couple names to name off. That doesn't mean that they can't get him signed. That doesn't mean he's not deserving of that money. He definitely is deserving of that money. But I don't think the Mets are under any really intense pressure to get this deal done. Mm-hmm. But I'm also, at the same time, in DeGrom's defense, I'm going to say is, if the Mets want DeGrom back, just get the deal done then. Yeah. Okay? It's obvious you both want to get a deal done. Just get the deal done. Stop stalling. Stop wasting time. You know, if you really want to get this done right before opening day, just get it done. You've made all the signings you have made this offseason. I don't think you're going after anybody else. I don't think you're making any more moves. Unless they're more like on the minor league level, you know, minor league contract type thing. But it's obvious you want DeGrom here for the long haul. It's obvious that you want DeGrom to finish his career as a Met. So do yourself a favor and just get him signed. Yeah, make everyone's life simple. Make all the Met fans stop stressing. Just get him signed. Yeah, exactly. You know, because again, the articles today in the papers were, you know, well, the Mets haven't said anything and, you know, this is very telling. And I'm like, no, it isn't. It's not telling. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. The Mets have been very good treating these pitchers. You know, they've treated these pitchers very well. And like I said, when you throw $17 million out there for Jacob deGrom in arbitration, you're basically sending a message that says you want, you want him long term. You want him in the, for the long haul. I think a deal will get done. It's just a matter of time at this point. Mm-hmm. But then Brody's got to ask himself, you know, what's it worth to you? You know, do you really want to give him – he's going to be 32 when he's a free agent. How many years is, worth, is he worth? You were not giving him a seven-year deal, that's for sure. But I could see them giving him a five-year, four to five years maybe. I wouldn't hate it. But then I asked myself at the same time, and maybe we'll ask Tim this too at 1030, Aaron Nola just got a four-year extension with the Phillies. He was up for the Cy Young too last year. He had no chance of winning it against DeGrom, but he only got he only, he's only paying him $45 million. So if a, if, a, if a fellow Cy Young candidate can get a four-year, $45 million deal, what, are the, you know, what is DeGrom going to get? You know, the, the, only, the only difference is between Nola and DeGrom, Aaron Nola is 25 years old. Yeah. That's the only difference. But still, I mean, for I mean, a young it, pitcher like that to get a four only – I mean, he's only making $10 million a year. It's not – I mean, for a pitcher who was in the Cy Young race all last year, that's, that seems like a bargain. For me, for the Phillies. Yeah, Aaron Nola is a fantastic pitcher. 17 wins, 6 losses, 2.37 ERA, 224 strikeouts. Wow, I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah. But Met fans need to just kind of relax. Stop getting freaked out because it's not worth it. I think at the end of the day, he's going to sign. I highly doubt that Brody Van Wagenen is going to let this go a very long time. I highly doubt that Brody Van Wagenen is going to let is going to damage the relationship with his former client, who he who now works for him with the Mets. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it. Nothing has told me otherwise with the Mets. I think if the Mets didn't want to sign Jacob Degrom to an extension, they would have already traded him. Mm-hmm. He'd already be gone for prospects. Now, if this was Sandy Alderson. Then I could see Sandy Alderson stalling this out for a long time because it's all, that's how he always played the game. 
I think Brody will definitely want to get a deal done. But it remains to be seen. Opening day is only about a month. Some people think that they shouldn't sign him to an extension right now. Other people are saying lock him up. But we'll see what happens. But right now, nothing about what the Mets have done this offseason leads me to believe that they're not going to focus their attention on getting the Grom signed. Number two, sources are reporting that friends of Manny Machado are trying to convince him to sign a short-term deal with the Yankees rather than sign long-term with the Phillies, the White Sox, or the Padres. These are the same people that are also reporting that they're not out on Nolan Arenado yet, even though it looks more likely that the Rockies are going to sign sign him to a, a, a huge a huge deal. I could I could I could see uh, Machado signing a one year deal or a two year deal with the Yankees. I could see it. See, part of me doesn't see it, and the reason why I say that is because I think he's so stubborn that he would rather take the money. He's just hoping the Yankees give more than a one year deal. Yeah. He's hoping that the Yankees give at least a three- or four-year deal or maybe even five years. The problem with Manny Machado at this point is you signed too many guys for the infield, so now your infield is insanely crowded, which is not a bad thing to have. It's not a bad problem to have. But basically, you have Luke Voigt and Greg Bird fighting it out for first base. You have DJ LeMayhew at second base, plus Gleyber Torres at second base. You have Troy Tulowitzki and Gleyber Torres at shortstop. And you have Andujar at third. Plus, you have Didi coming back from. There's nowhere the, to put him. Yeah, there's nowhere to put. As good as Didi is, and how good he's been for the Yankees, there's nowhere to put Didi. You have Tyler Wade sitting on your bench, who's a decent prospect. You have a bunch of guys in this infield. Look, we've said it time and time and time again on this show. The Yankees do not need Manny Machado. Look, every team you can need Manny Machado. That's a fact because Manny Machado is that kind of player. But for the Yankees right now. There's just no room for him. No. Just like there's no room for Bryce Harper either. I mean, there's just there's nowhere to play the guy. And the only way you're going to play him at this point, or the only way you're going to really go after this is basically a case of, is it just more of a luxury to have him? Yeah. It's not a necessity. It's a luxury. You see, Yankee fans know that they don't need him. Yankee fans know that there's nowhere to put him. And while he does make your team better... There's no sense in bringing and putting signing him for two hundred million dollars, where there's nowhere to play him. Yeah, but then the Yankee fans come up with all these crazy scenarios. So then you trade Andujar to this guy, and you put Voit over here, and then Judge has to go play in right field with like two shoes on his hand. Yeah, it's like but that's what they do though. They always try to figure out a scenario, and it's always the most convoluted scenario known to man. Yeah, just to get this guy on your team. It was like when last year, when Matt was here and Jeff would call in, Jeff would figure out any which way to get Bryce Harper on the Red Sox. Yeah, I remember. I remember some of those shows. Like he would, like he would figure out a way. Oh well, they can they'll play, make him a first baseman. What if he doesn't want to be a first baseman? You know, just because you have an opening at first base doesn't mean Bryce Harper has to take it. I mean, if I'm Bryce Harper, I'm going to want to play my position. I'm only 26. Why would I want to, you know, why do I why do I have to move to first base? Yeah. And why would you want to play him at first base? Bryce Harper has an elite arm. Yeah. You're taking that part out of his game out of that if you put him at first base. And the thing is, again, is just, you know, you, you try to figure out ways to make it work. 
you try to figure out ways. Like, for example, the one thing I'm not 100% sold on right now with the Mets is Jeff McNeil in the outfield. To me, I feel like you're trying to, you're trying to put a square peg into a round hole. I don't really know how good his, his, often, his outfield skills are. And I don't think a month in spring training is going to really make me that much more of a believer. But I think it's a way to keep his bat in the lineup. Because your other two bats that can play the outfield, Lagaris and Keon Broxton, can't hit. They can field, but they're not good hitters. So the only way you can keep this bat in the lineup is if you put Jeff McNeil in right field, and then you put Nimmo in center, or you put Conforto in center. Which is not the ideal defensive alignment you want. But getting back to Machado, the thing about Machado is, isn't it amazing though? Like, he still hasn't signed. And, ca- and pitchers and catchers reported. Yeah. Full team workout, I think, is tomorrow or Friday. And you know what's funny, too? When just before the new year started, the new the report came out that Manny Machado will decide where he'll go after the new year. Well, we're a month and a half into the new year, and we haven't heard anything yet. So either that was BS or... I remember when MSN had broken, had a, had a story that said... That Machado was going to sign with the Yankees, but it wasn't going to be till after the New Year. But yeah. they said he was he was going to sign with the Yankees. No one else had broke that story but MSN, which means their their story was complete was complete BS. But there was a story that the Yankees had offered Machado two hundred and twenty million. There was a story that again he would only play third base for the Yankees. It sounds like the Yankees either don't want him. Or they're just going to take him on like a very, very team-friendly deal. Because, again, they don't, have to, they don't have to bid for his services. Bless you. Thank you. They don't have to bid for his services. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is basically just wait it out and they say, okay, we could take, we'll take you for one year and $15 million. Take it or leave it. It depends. How bad do you want to go to the Yankees? Do you want to go through this all again? Because I think it's only going to get worse for free agents the year after and the year after that. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this. We saw it last year. We didn't think it was anything crazy, you know, because it was just a couple of guys towards the end of the free agent. It was just Mike Moustakis and uh, someone else. Zara Hosmer. Yeah, Hosmer. Oh, and uh, Alex Cobb, who was a big name on the free agent for some reason. And Darvish, too. Darvish was a part of that because he didn't sign until very late. He was the first one that signed before Hosmer signed. And they all ended up not having good seasons. No, because they I, whether they came in late or not, but they all were expected to do great things for their teams, and they did ended up doing nothing. And now we're seeing it again this year with a lot more guys with Harper, Machado, Keuchel, Kimbrel, Mustakis again. It, it's Jose Iglesias, like a bunch of guys who could be starters on teams have not signed. And the thing is, it's only and the thing is, it's going to drag out mm-hmm. because pretty much all the teams' rosters are set. I just think personally, like, listen, if Manny Machado really wants to go to the Yankees that bad, he'll just take a, he'll take a team-friendly one-year deal, kind of like the way Cousins did in Golden State. Mm-hmm. How bad do you want to go to the Yankees? And when you're in the Yankee team, it, you don't have to be the center of attention. It, it's, it's perfect for you. But it doesn't sound like the Yankees want him because they think they would have signed him by now. The Yankees aren't even at the negotiating table with Manny Machado. They're not even sitting there going, oh, yeah, well, we were, we were negotiating with him, but talks broke off and we're moving on. They literally have not offered him anything. 
As far as we know, the only team that's owed, offered him a contract are the White Sox. Yeah, was no cool. one else has offered a offered him a contract, in which we think is a BS con, uh, contract because Manny, Manny Machado clearly deserves more than that. I think that was just a just a like, oh they're offering him money. We need to we need to up well, up the ante here. Like and, it, and a team like the White Sox could definitely, if they really wanted him that bad, they'd offer him a lot more than what they offered him. Mm-hmm. But the Manny Machado saga continues with no end in sight. The Bryce Harper saga continues with no end in sight. You notice no one's mentioned a thing about Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, Keuchel. No one's mentioned anything like, oh, yeah, we're talking to Craig Kimbrell. We're talking to, you know, Dallas Keuchel. We're talking to Bryce Harper. We're talking to Mike Moustakas. No one's even sniffed around Mike Moustakas. That's because everyone's worried about. And that is all the more reason why I say the Mets should sign him. Keuchel and Moustakas. I would sign both. I try to sign both. I would love both. I mean, like. like Or I would try to sign Kimbrell. Imagine having Kimbrel, Familia, and Edwin Diaz. I'd rather go for Kimbrel. I'd go for Kimbrel. Because, again, I think you're seeing a changing of the guard in baseball now, mm-hmm. and it's going to be the Super Bowl pens. Yeah. You know how it's like the, the, um, the big three in, in the NBA? Yeah. It's going to be like the Super Bowl pen now with a lot of other teams. A lot of teams are going in that direction. I love it. I would not be opposed. Look, you already have – But you're getting into a situation now where, start, where closers, relievers – can make more money than starters. Yeah. And that was something you never thought was possible. And I'm not talking about closers either, Clem. Mm-hmm. Not just closers. Guys that have closer experience. But there are also a lot of players, a lot of pitchers who are making big money now because of this new trend of going to uh, having a stacked bullpen. The ability to pull your starter after like three innings to go to your bullpen with the arms you create in the bullpen. So imagine putting Craig Kimbrell in a Mets uniform right now. I already think this, you know, that was a big problem for the Mets last year was their bullpen, and now you significantly upgraded it with with signing back Familia, putting him in the setup role, making Edwin Diaz your closer. You signed Justin Wilson. People, I think we forget that. He was, he's a big lefty to have in the thing in the bullpen. And Robert Giselman and Seth Lugo are both coming back who had decent years last year in the bullpen. Yeah. So if you go out and sign a guy like Ken, uh, Craig Kimbrell or even Tony Sipp. Oh, no, and Tony Sipp got signed. Uh, Krim, uh, Craig Kimbrell, I don't know why I can't say his name. If you add him, I think the, the Mets easily have a top 10 bullpen in the league. Mm-hmm. All right, number three, Antonio Brown has officially requested a trade out of Pittsburgh. And, uh, of course, one of the teams that's already been not rumored, not that they're interested or not, we don't really know who they're, in, who they're interested in, but apparently the Jets are one of those teams that a lot of people are saying could fit Antonio Brown under their cap on their roster for next year. Jamal Adams is pushing for Antonio Brown. I'm sure a few other Jet players are pushing for Antonio Brown. Um, I know you don't want anything to do with Antonio Brown. I'd rather not now especially with the news that came out the other day that Demarius Thomas is now a free agent. Yeah, but he also just tore his ACL. That's true, but if we can get him on the cheap, I, I, by all means, let's, let's yeah, get him. Yeah, but Demarius Thomas is not a number one receiver, though. That's my hey, problem. I don't be. think he's a number he one receiver. He was a number one in... The, in uh, he wasn't very good in Denver, and he wasn't very good in Houston this year. I don't think he was very good at all, and before he got hurt, of course. See, the thing is, the only reason I don't want to get Brown... We'll have to give up our first round pick, I think. 
I really think if we can get Brown without getting, oh, giving up our first round there pick. There is no way I would ever give up the number three overall pick to get Antonio Brown. That's what I'm saying. If we can get Plus Antonio, he's 31. Plus, like, if we can get, get uh, Brown without giving up the first round pick, by all means, come bring him here. See, but what kills the Jets right now, and this is why I don't want to deal for Antonio Brown, is because you are going to have to give up draft capital, mm-hmm. and I'm not prepared to give that up. Number one, you don't have a second round pick. Okay, second round pick would be at least a starting point to talk to trade for Antonio Brown. Yeah. The second thing is is that you might they're going to want the number 3 overall pick and you're yeah. not going to give that up. There's no way. Now, if I found a way to get a second round pick to go with maybe a first rounder next year, I could do that trade because I do think the Jets will be a better team next year under Adam Gase. Here, how about this scenario? Would you trade Leonard Williams and next year's second round pick for Antonio Brown? Hmm, that's a good. That's a good question. If that was the case, yes, I I'd think I. Yes. I think I would do that. I'd I think I would yes. do that trade. I would do that too, just because your offense, or your offense becomes significantly better. Leonard Williams has downgraded his performance. You can sign back Henry Anderson. You can draft one of the defensive ends and replace Leonard Williams in this draft. But I also think the Jets are holding some interesting cards because now that Kyler Murray has pushed towards football, I think a lot of teams are going to be jonesing for his services. Mm-hmm. So they might trade. Well and the thing is, pick. the fact that I cannot fathom a draft where Kyler Murray is the number three overall pick. But that being said, if the Jets can get a king's ransom for that pick, mm-hmm. then you take that trade. That's yeah. I, I think teams. Who need a quarterback like the Dolphins, possibly? Or, There's a ton of teams that need it. It's just a question of do you want to risk a high draft, a high first round pick for the guy? I, and in, I don't know. In my mock draft that you can go view on our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. <laughs> Shameless plug. You can. I have the Dolphins picking Kyler Murray at the 13th overall pick, and it's a panic pick. I feel like you know you have just like Tannehill pick. was. Tannehill was a total panic pick for the Dolphins. But Tannehill wasn't that. Bad, though. He wasn't awful. But he was only drafted there because the Dolphins desperately needed a quarterback. And they desperately need a quarterback now, and they have the new coach, Brian Flores. And I think, you know what, he, he's trying to make a big move by being the new coach and be like, hey, we need to get this guy guy as our quarterback. And I think you go out and panic pick uh, Kyler Murray, and he's be the, uh, the pick for the Dolphins. And whether that, and that's just that 13 I had that. Who knows if they could trade what they want to do if they want to trade up with the Jets. Any other year, I wouldn't have a problem taking Antonio Brown in a trade. This year, I can't. Yeah. Because, uh, number one, I'm not giving up my number three overall pick. Number two, I have no second rounder to give the Steelers for this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty much screwed. Even if I give them both threes, they're not going to take that. I don't think they're going to take that for Antonio Brown. Would you give up, how about this deal, Marcus May and both threes <sighs> for Antonio Brown? I'm going to say no. I'd say yes. Just because... My only reason being is that, again, if I don't have a second rounder, then that means I don't pick again until the fourth round. And while I do have Antonio Brown, you know, giving up Marcus May, I'm... Last year, before last season, of course I wouldn't have been open to the idea, but I feel like he's got that Bob Sanders injury-prone... Don't say that. Type thing. I mean, the guy oh, just gets hurt. I, I love Bob Sanders. It's like freaking Glass Joe from Mike Tyson's Punch Out, dude. Like, he's <laughs> constantly hurt. You know how frustrating it is? He missed, like, the whole season. I know. And it started from training camp where the guy just couldn't stay healthy. 
And the thing is, it's the last thing you need right now. You don't need another guy that just cannot stay on the field. It's another second-round bust. He's got to figure out a way to stay on the field. That's how you keep your job. They have high hopes for him. They have high expectations for, for Marcus May. But unless he can be on the field consistently, he is useless right now in the Jets roster. Finally, number four, the New York Post had an article today saying that if he becomes available, the Giants should look at every opportunity to try to acquire Josh Rosen from the Cardinals. I wouldn't hate it. I would not hate that for the Giants. Now, Cliff Kingsbury is basically saying that Rosen is not. He is our quarterback because there was a lot of talk about about uh, Kingsbury drafting Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. That's why this all kind of started. You don't really know how committed he is to Josh Rosen for the upcoming season. But he pretty much squashed that by saying that he is he is their quarterback for next season. Um, it's unfair to give up on Josh Rosen, in my opinion, after one year. Especially with market conditions have you nervous? Really? Sorry. Really? Click something by accident. Finger slips. Whose who show is this? <laughs> Getting back to what I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted. <laughs> um it's unfair to really kind of pigeonhole Joshua. It's like the same thing they did to Jared Goff. Yeah. Jared Goff had one year where he was terrible with the Rams. And you could base that a lot on Jeff Fisher. The same can be said for Arizona with Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes did not do a very good job coaching that team, and that's why he's fired. And that's why they already, they already have a new coach. They looked lost. They couldn't move the football, which is unlike an Arizona Cardinal team. And that's with David Johnson in the lineup. Mm-hmm. That's with Larry Fitzgerald in the lineup. Is it Jeff? I think it's speedy. Uh, we can't. We got to. We got to. Here we go. Speedy. Hello. Speedy. Hey. Hi. What's going on? Can you not hear Craig? Not right now. No. Oh, this mic. This mic is not working. Then. Oh, I shouldn't have said that too loud. <laughs> what's going on, Speedy? Yeah, I was, I was just going to comment on this. I don't think Josh he's, Rosen's he's ever going to be quick. available because I really think the front office is not going to let him do that. You're, if you give Cliff Kingsbury this kind of control, it's just going to be Chip Kelly 2.0. Yeah, I, uh, I, I 100% agree with you, Speedy. I think I don't think Rosen is going to be available. I mean, look, this guy, and Craig said it uh, best too, you give this guy one year, I mean, you can't really base it off that. So, I mean, as much as, much as it would be nice for Giants fans to even think about getting Josh Rosen, I don't think he'll be available. Yeah, I wanted them to draft him, draft him last year. Mm-hmm. He was my favorite quarterback of the four. He hasn't played like it, but I mean, he was my favorite at the time. So yeah. if they if he was available, I of course I would want the Giants to pursue it. But I really I think I really think that's all a smokescreen. It's a rival coach saying it too. It's just yeah. stupid. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me too. I just think it's one of those things where you automatically assume that Kingsbury's going to want his own quarterback to develop. But Rosen, I think, can be developed by Kingsbury. Yeah. And I think that it would make yeah. it doesn't make sense to all of a sudden write off Josh Rosen after one year in Arizona because he didn't have a very good year. I just think that Wilkes was just just an awful coach. And they also oh. had a bad offensive coordinator too, and Mike McCoy. Yeah. So speedy, so, yeah. 
Speedy, I, I hate to cut you short, but we have a guest coming on soon, so we got to let you go. But I really do. I thank right. you for calling in. All right, man. All right. All right. Have a good interview, guys. Thanks, man. See Take care, Speedy. But Speedy's not wrong, man. He's, he's not. not. He's I don't not. think he's wrong at all. I think it, you know, and it is. Sometimes these things get started by rival coaches or it gets started by some some kind of weird rumor that goes around. Yeah, no, I think Speedy hit, hit it right on the head and you hit it right on the he head too. Look, the, as much as it would be great for the Giants to go out and trade for Josh Rosen and get him possibly, I don't think it's going to happen. Look, this kid had one bad year. That shouldn't be the mark on his career. Like, oh, great. I guess that's it. You know, we drafted him with the, with the at the eighth overall pick. Yep, that's it for Josh Rosen's career. There it goes. No, the kid still can develop. You have a, a good, what what we think is a good quarterback-minded coach in Cl Kif, uh, Kif, Cliff, Cliff King. King. I cannot speak tonight. You're having a rough Wednesday, man. Cliff Kingsbury. And let, let's see how this can go out from here. I mean, look, you still have Larry Fitzgerald there. You still have David Johnson in your backfield. You still have two solid weapons with both of them. Let them learn. I mean, I think this is something that would be like in the onion. <laughs> like, you know, like it, it's like a story that's like made, tailor made for like the onion or like weekly world news <laughs> or something like that. But there's no way the Cardinals are going to give up on Josh Rosen after one year. I think yeah. it would be unfair to Rosen. And listen, if Rosen got a chance to go to New York, I'm sure he'd be thrilled to come to New York. Yeah. He'd want to prove to the Jets that he was a better quarterback than Darnold. Yeah. I mean, so it would make perfect sense for the Giants to go after him if, if they wanted to. But I can't see that. I just can't see the Cardinals giving up on him so quickly, especially even with a new coach like Kingsbury. Kingsbury has to know that he's he's seen plenty of tape on Rosen from UCLA. He knows he can play. So, so it's just probably just more drama. I just think at the I think at the end of the day, the Giants going to wind up with Haskins either via trade to move up, or he's just going to fall to them at six. If I had to make a, a statement on it right now, I think they draft Daniel Jones in the second round. Okay. I mean, it's not. I mean, that makes sense. If Daniel Jones makes it to the second round, if he's in the first round, I don't know what's going on. I really don't. Honestly, if you're a team at the bottom of the first round, you're taking Daniel Jones. See, that's the thing. I think only really one quarterback deserves to go in the first round. That's Dwayne Haskins. I think the Dolphins over. I think the Dolphins panic pick Kyler Murray, who doesn't deserve to go in the first round. No offense to Kyler Murray, he's great, but I don't think he goes in the first. Round. I think I don't think Drew Locke goes in the first. Deserves to go in the first round, but I think the Patriots take him at the 32nd overall pick. All right, we're going to go to break right now on the Moffat on the Mic radio show. The number to call is always a 631-676-2968. After the break, we're going to have Tim Healy, Mets beat writer for Newsday. Spring training started today. Pitchers and catchers reported. First workouts are tomorrow. I think the rest of the roster shows up on Friday. So uh, we have a lot to ask Tim. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will have Tim Healy, Mets beat writer for Newsday, joining us right here on the Moffat on the Mic radio show, only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll be back right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening to Moffat on the Mic on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies. Bring your wife. Guaranteed Couldn't resist, could you? I like it was appropriate. Welcome back to the Moffat on the Mic radio show, only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The number to call is always a 631-676-2968. That is 631-676-2968. Follow us on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and our Facebook page as well. And on the phone with us right now is Mets beat writer Tim Healy for Newsday. Tim, how is it going at spring training? Uh, it's, got, it's going pretty well. Just a couple days under my belt so far. How are you guys? Doing really well. Thank you for taking the time to be on our show today. Happy to. 
All right, so uh, today was the uh, introduction, the press conference, Mickey Callaway's first press conference before, uh, obviously, workouts begin. Um, what did you take out of it? Maybe some, like, I guess, things that were different from last year. What did he comment on? Did he comment on anything with uh, Jacob DeGrom or anything like that? Uh, not a ton of Jacob DeGrom talk today from Mickey. That'll probably There will be a lot more of that tomorrow when Jacob DeGrom and Brody Van Wagen speak to reporters, but... Today, my main takeaway from Mickey Calloway's first press conference this spring was that he knows the pressure is on him this year. Uh, he is uh, he is embracing that pressure, uh, and really, the Mets need to get off to a good start, or else uh, Mickey's seat is going to get real hot real fast. Uh, Sandy always nice to know with the team, and whenever the person who hired you is no longer there, I think it can always be a little uneasy. Brody Van Wagen and obviously giving Mickey a chance to open the year at least. So we'll see how that develops. Do you think that that's part of the reason why Jim Riggleman is a bench coach right now for the Mets in case like, cause is Mickey Callaway really on a short leash? I don't know how short the leash is. And he's, he's saying all the right things today in terms of Jim Riggleman's not a threat. You know, he's a great veteran manager. will be a great voice in the dugout, but it's hard to deny that dynamic that Jim Riggleman is a longtime manager. Four times in his career out of the five teams he's managed, he has inherited a team midseason. Um, so he, he has made a career of sorts, largely out of being an interim manager. Uh, and so it, <laughs> from that perspective, uh, yeah, it puts even a little bit more pressure on Mickey just from – perspective of having a guy like that ready anytime Brody Van Wagen and the Mets front office decide they want to go that route, if they want to go that route. You know, you mentioned, you know, you're probably not going to hear anything about Jacob DeGrom until tomorrow. What are your personal opinions on him getting a contract, a contract extension this year? I, to be honest, if I'm the Mets, I'm not in a particular hurry to do it. If you, if you give him a contract right now, probably going to be quite large just because he's coming off the Cy Young season. Um, I guess from, from the Mets' perspective, reasons to not sign him to a big deal right now is, first of all, he's still two years away from free agency. That's a long time. Uh, you know, w- whether you sign him or whether you don't, you still have those two years. Uh, so I just don't see what the hurry is. He's a little older. You know, I think 31 this year, uh, or because he got the late start in his career, you know, as a 26-year-old rookie, he's already had one Tommy John surgery. Uh, so there, there are a lot of factors that, to me, I know Brody Van Wagen has been talking about all winter. Obviously, DeGrom is Brody's former client. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, it's, it's been a lot of talk because of the, you know, former agent, former client relationship, but... You know, to me, to me, there's no rush. They put a deadline on it by opening day for talks this spring, and that makes sense to me because you don't want it to be a cloud hanging over the season. But if, if you can't come to a mutually beneficial deal this spring, fine. You know, wait till next winter if you want, you know? Tim, uh, what were your thoughts overall on Brody Van Wagenen's first offseason as GM, just with the signings of Jed Lowry and the trade for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz and then bringing back Jarris Familia? Um, 
something maybe he should have done maybe a little differently, maybe went after someone else. Uh, maybe not. I'm not saying necessarily Machado and Harper, but you know, one guy that Chris and I have been kind of pushing to sign at the last minute would have been Dallas Keuchel. Do you think that? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying, do you think that that's a like a good? Would he be like a? Was he a guy the Mets should consider signing this late in the season, late in the off season, and then at that point, just your overall thoughts on Brody Van Wagenen's first uh, off season as GM? First on the on the Keuchel thing, absolutely. I, I tweeted it last month, and I tweeted about it again today. Dallas Keuchel at a reasonable price would be an excellent addition to this rotation if you could plug him into the middle bump Matt's down to your number five starter that's a real bump Jason Vargas out of the rotation that's a very very good rotation uh I'd be hard-pressed to think of any other rotation in baseball that would be better than that one uh, but granted you know Keiko's going to cost money probably 20 million plus a year for three or so years if you look at Jake Arrieta's deal with the Phillies as uh you know as a sort of setting some parameters there. But as far as Brody's offseason overall, I think he did a reasonably good job uh, improving the roster with the budget that he had. That said, if you're a Mets fan, I think you're always going to be disappointed in ownership and the uh, lack of willingness to spend for the true high-end free agents. You mentioned Harper and Machado. Those were guys who, at the beginning of the offseason, especially for the Mets, would have easily fit into their into their roster with minimal other maneuvering. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like uh, a couple of weeks ago they were saying, "Oh, you know, you got to get bats at bats for Jeff McNeil in the outfield." Or you know, the infield's very crowded now. But uh, to me, those are just excuses. They're not even good excuses. Um, even though I like players like Jeff McNeil, Jed Lowry, etc. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, ownership sets the budget. Brody does what he can within those parameters. I think you can argue about whether the Cano-Diaz trade was good. I thought that was kind of middling, to be honest, because they did give up a lot during, in terms of prospects. Um, but overall, I think he did a reasonably good job. I don't buy his bravado that they're the team to beat in the division. Frankly, that's not the case at all. It's a very <laughs> yeah, it's, a bit, uh, it's, a, it's already a bit much in your first couple of months. You're already putting a target on the team's back. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a bit extreme. Yeah. Now, with you know the move of Jeff McNeil playing more of uh, outfield this year, do you see him playing a lot like more games this year? Whether it's at in the outfield or in the infield, do you see him like getting more playing time this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's going to get plenty of playing time. I think all of that, or most, a large majority of that playing time will come in the outfield, um, barring you know roster changes such as injury, you know, if let's say, for example, Todd Frazier gets hurt, um, then obviously that would open up some big-time at-bats in the infield. Um, but as things stand now, yes, Jeff McNeil stands to get a lot of at-bats in the outfield. Brody mentioned the other day that against right-handed pitchers, which of course is the majority of the days uh, you face a right-handed starter, that they like an outfield of McNeil, Conforto, Nimmo. Obviously that could lead to quite a bit of offense. Defensively, it's a little more suspect. Uh, we'll see how McNeil handles the defensive aspect of the outfield. Uh, but the Mets like his bat, and with reason, he had a great 2018. Um, so uh, that's one of the things I'm most curious to see develop in spring training, 
how McNeil actually takes to that transition defensively. Well, that's like that's another thing I was thinking. Do you think, in your opinion, do you think he can be an everyday outfielder for the Mets? Because I know this; they've tried this in the past with guys like Daniel Murphy, and I remember when Todd Hundley played outfield briefly. Um, is it even? Do you think he can be an everyday outfielder for the Mets? Everyday outfielder might be a bit much, but I think he can be perfectly adequate. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Murphy, Hunley, Duda had a little time out there. Mm-hmm. McNeil's different than those guys. McNeil's way more athletic. He played it in college. He's dabbled in the minors. Uh, even within the infield, he has moved around quite a bit. So this is a guy who's played a lot of positions as it is. So relearning the outfield, uh, you know, I, I don't want to – it's not quite as simple as learning relearning how to ride a bike, but – uh, it's similar in that it should come back relatively quickly, and he's athletic enough to make it work. Now, speaking of out people in the outfielders, uh, Cespedes has been reported at spring training. What's the news around him? Is he coming back? If he does, what's his gonna what's his role gonna be? Because right now, Mets have five outfielders. Is he gonna be playing first? Is he gonna be in the outfield? What's he gonna be doing? As far as when he comes back, nobody knows. The Mets have offered virtually no detail or timeline on when that is. We've heard everything from July to maybe in 2019. So right now that's a crapshoot. And frankly, the Mets haven't said a lot, but they also might not know a lot. Brody said a couple of weeks ago that they'll have a better idea once he gets into camp and you know they have their eyes on him, they see where he's at in his rehab, things along those lines. Today was his first day. I don't think he worked out. Um but, but through, over the course of spring training, my hope is there will be a little more definition to expectations for Cespedes. And as far as when he eventually comes back and his role, if he's the Jonas Cespedes that the Mets signed, you know, after the 2016 season, or yeah, yeah, you got a four-year deal after 2016. If he's that sort of player then he's, he's going to be playing every day. Um, maybe a little less so as he works back in and builds stamina into being an everyday player again. But he's a bat that you need in the lineup if he is the Jonas Cespedes of old. And he's not a guy who you sit to make room for Lagares or Broxton or even Jeff, Jeff McNeil probably. Hmm. We are talking to Mets beat writer Tim Healy for Newsday on the Moffat on the Mic radio show. Uh, Tim, the bullpen has obviously gotten a lot stronger this year, obviously with the acquisition of Edwin Diaz to go with Familia, and I love the signing of Justin Wilson. Um, throw in Lugo and Gazelman as well. Give me a th- your thoughts on who else is more likely to make the rest of the round out the bullpen compared to others. I know they're going to have guys like uh, Luis Avian in camp, Hector Santiago, uh, Drew Smith, Tyler Bajlor, I mean, just to name a few. Um, who do you think is going to, at the end of the day, who do you think will probably round out the Mets' bullpen? I think right now it's anybody's guess uh, in terms of who makes the opening day roster, but a lot of the names you mentioned uh, are, are, have very good chances. Drew Smith impressed at the end of last year. Tyler Best, Bachelor has good stuff, but probably didn't impress in terms of Major League results towards the end of last year. Rain was up and down all of 18. Paul Seawall was up and down, mostly up all of 2018. Eric Hanel. Um, so there's a large group of guys there. 
I wouldn't bank on Hector Santiago making it out of spring training. Um, same for Luis Avalon. Those are good guys to have on minor league contracts if you can keep them in AAA for if and when somebody does go down. And whether it's Stu Smith or Daniel Zamora, to name another guy who I don't want to leave out, or Bachelor or Rame or Seawald, whoever ends up with those two or three spots on opening day, it, they're going to be riding the New York CQ shuttle pretty much all year. <laughs> uh, yeah. and because the Mets, like a lot of other teams, like flexibility in those spots for the occasions, and it happens often, obviously, yeah. the occasions when you need a fresh arm on short notice. Um, so, But I guess that's the beauty of having the, the team in Syracuse now rather than in yeah, Vegas because Vegas was always, you know – I remember they were calling up, uh, I forgot, was it P.J. Conlon, whatever that guy's name was? Or mm-hmm. There was yeah. a guy they called up on a Sunday from, like, Binghamton, and the guy just got rocked because they didn't have anybody in time from Vegas to get them over from Vegas. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that stuff over the last few years has been self-inflicted, too, in terms of the Mets not making decisions early enough yeah. when they know a guy is injured and mm-hmm. um, not having somebody on standby. So hopefully they'll get more proactive in that sense in addition to the – simplified logistics probably of having it in Syracuse instead of Las Vegas, yeah. Zach Wheeler had one of the had probably the best second half of baseball any baseball player had last season. Can he repeat that report even like a fifth of that performance in twenty nineteen? Just so we can get like yeah. a I mean, because that, that was crazy. I mean nothing no one did be, pitch better than Z- Wheeler. Not even DeGrom did. Like so can he do that right. again? Well, I, I'm glad you put that qualifier in there because I don't think anybody expects Zach Wheeler to quite have a sub two ERA for the whole year. <laughs> but you're right; that was a that was a it was a crazy hot stretch. Not only in terms of the run prevention, but he was going seven, eight innings almost every time out. Mm-hmm. And really, that shows as much growth as anything else in terms of Zach Wheeler because years ago, before before he missed two and a half seasons out of three. You know, his thing was, okay, sure, he has good stuff, he's pretty good, but he doesn't pitch deep. Yeah. Last year, last summer, he was pitching deep. And so that that's as important as anything. Uh, you know, I, again, you can't bank on him being as good as he was in the second half last year. But if he has, say, you know, a low threes ERA, that's an awfully good I'll two take that. starter. Oh, absolutely. I'll take, sign me up for that. I'll take that yeah. any day of the week. <laughs> Absolutely, especially if Noah Syndergaard can be in the same range. Yeah, and healthy. I mean, I'm just praying that Jason Vargas keeps his ERA like a below five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Tim, one of the uh, the Mets infield is going to be very looks like it's going to be very crowded this year just because of the depth they added. You know, obviously with Todd Frazier and um, Jed Lowry, Ahmed Rosario, Robinson Cano, and now with Peter Alonso. Um, is the plan basically for Peter Alonso to sit in AAA for a couple of weeks, kind of like the Chris Bryant rule, and then maybe bring him up? And then what does that do with the rest of the, I guess, rest of the infield players, like guys like Frazier? Are they just going to wind up platooning with Lowry for third base? Uh, the Peter Alonso question is a good one. The Mets won't say and really can't say that they're going to do that. Right now the official stance is that it's uh, – you know, Peter Alonso is going to get every chance to win the first base job. So, frankly, I'm hoping he shows up, mashes, and holds his own defensively because that would put the Mets in a really good spot. Um, you mentioned the Chris Bryant situation a couple of years ago when the Cubs held him down for a couple of weeks in April just to 
you know, manipulate that service time and gain an extra year of team control. The Cubs' excuse for Bryant was he needed to work defensively, mm-hmm. and Peter Alonzo's reputation being what it is, that he's a big bat first, first baseman, not very good with the glove. That sort of gives the Mets cover if they do want to go the service time route, um, which frankly wouldn't be surprising because it's the prudent business move, um, even if it doesn't uh, put the best team on the field. Uh, so I, while I, I expect Alonzo to be the first baseman for the majority of the year, I'm not sure it'll happen immediately for that reason. Um, so in, in the interim, yes, Todd Frazier is an option at first. J.D. Davis really gets talked up by Brody. Um, Dom Smith, a lot of people people forget about, but uh, I think he's going to have a bounce-back year to whatever, at whatever level he ends up playing at. Um, but you're right, the infield is crowded, and I'll be curious specifically to see how Mickey Calloway finds that bats for Jed Lowry, who is supposed to see time all over the infield. Um, I'll just be curious to see how that works in practice. Uh, speaking of, you know, we have a crowded infield, you have a crowded outfield too. Do you see... Brody Van Wagenen possibly making a trade somewhere down the road for something? I mean, look, because the Jed Lowry signing came out of nowhere. Can he come out of nowhere by making a trade for someone? I think he can always make a trade. I think if you give Brody Van Wagenen too much downtime, he's just going to end up making a trade. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that said, I don't see uh, one uh, imminently or, or even one where it's like, all right, what are you going to do with this player? May as well see if you can trade him. All the players they have right now, they either just added or need. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like, uh, if anything, they're short in the outfield. I was waiting for them to keep getting an actual starting center fielder. Mm-hmm. Instead, they got Keon Broxton, who's basically Juan Lagares, and <laughs> Jeff, turned Jeff McNeil into an outfielder. So it sort of looks crowded. When really it's not, you're banking on some guys to have good years when that's not really a given. Mm-hmm. Back to – I have to ask this about Dom Smith because I, I just – I want to see him succeed. I really do. Sure. Like I just feel like he's gotten a bit of a raw deal. I feel like that August call-up when he didn't he, – he, was, he wasn't very good. I feel like it kind of sealed his fate in a way with the Mets. Like they kind of pretty much have written him – inadvertently written him off. Um, mm-hmm. Is he going to get a shot in the outfield maybe more? Because I know he was really trying to learn to play left field, especially when he tried to go to winter ball this year. And then he had a falling out with the winter ball team because they wanted him to play first base, but he really wanted to learn the outfield just so he can add like some more versatility to his, you know, to his resume. Um, where do you, does he even have a shot to maybe make them, even if it's just as a bench player? Or is he pretty much destined for AAA and it will just be the call-up that, like you said, the Syracuse-New York shuttle? I he is an outside shot at making the team as a bench player, especially if Peter Alonso opens the year in AAA. That said, I think Dom Smith would be best served, and I think the Mets would be best served playing Dom Smith consistently at whatever level, whether it's the majors as the first baseman for a couple of weeks or in Syracuse as the first baseman regularly. Um, what's key for him is to perform and reestablish some trade value or essentially revive his career. I think if you forget, he's still, what, only 23 years yeah, old? Yeah, he's still really young. This time, <laughs> right. This time a year ago, um, I think he hadn't even overslept and missed a meeting yet. He was, still <laughs> the first ba- he was still the first baseman of the future for the franchise. You know what I mean? 
people weren't really talking about Peter Alonso yet. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 <laughs> time flies in baseball. Things can change fast, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if they change not quite that fast, but they change again going the other way from Dom Smith, and he, he performs somewhere. Like it just seems to me like he's ever since you know that that really kind of August where he just was really he just did not play well. The Mets have been looking for any reason to bury him, and then when he overslept for that meeting on the, which was bad enough, it was bad. I'm not saying it wasn't, but oh, absolutely, yeah. it just seems like they're looking for any reason to bury this guy. Like it just doesn't seem like they're really, they're not a hundred percent into developing him at this point. So I don't really yeah. know. Like it's such a and it's such an odd case because he's so young, just like you said, and he was a first round pick of the Mets. Right. Yeah. It, some of it is certainly self inflicted with Dom, including the oversleeping and some other things. But also, last year, the Mets jerked him around quite a bit in terms of calling him up, sending him down, playing Adrian Gonzalez for as long as they did, calling him up and then not playing him, putting him in the outfield. It was just a really weird really weird year, strange year, from the standpoint of trying to develop somebody who is or was a top prospect in the organization. Um, so... Some on the Mets, some on Dom Smith, but overall just kind of an unfortunate situation. Uh, what's the news surrounding, you know, Wilson Ramos? Is he, like, you know, finally healthy enough to play a full season possibly? Like, what's the what's the, what's the the news around him? Well, he, he said yesterday when we spoke to him that he feels good, he feels healthy. Uh, he finished last year healthy, so, you know, it, that knee issue, that plagued him last off season mm-hmm. is no longer an issue he said um and he so he didn't want to put a target of number of games played but uh he is the full-time catcher and i think everybody feels healthy and is healthy until you're not right you never know when uh you're gonna feel a hamstring or anything along those lines so uh the mets obviously are banking on him remaining healthy because he is a significant upgrade at catcher when he's on the field. Oh, significantly, well, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the track record suggests that somewhere along the way, something will probably pop up injury-wise. Mm-hmm. Where it's just hard to tell if that if that'll actually happen or when it'll happen. Mm-hmm. All right, Tim. One last question for me, and um, I think this is something that would definitely benefit the Mets. Obviously, not this year, but more like next, possibly next year and beyond. Um, how close do you think is the league to bringing the designated hitter to the National League? Um, it's hard to say. Um, I know it popped up, what, a week or two ago that yeah. that was being floated. That was never going to happen for 2019. That's something teams would need way more heads up on. I'd be surprised if it was here in 2020. 2021... When you get once you get to 2021, you may as well wait for the next CBA, the next season, and see where everything's at. Now, obviously, there are larger issues to be negotiated during that collective bargaining agreement. Um, but it, you're right; it's worth noting that the Mets, when it, if the DH comes to the NL in the next two or three seasons, the Mets specifically will benefit pretty considerably from that. <laughs> whether it's Robinson Cano, who's basically going to be an old man soon in baseball or Peter Alonzo if he can't hold his own defensively or Jeff McNeil if they just want to have another position to give him at bat there are a lot of ways 
the Mets are, the, the Mets are set up for the next five years, as mm-hmm. long as a half decade, where they would benefit significantly from a designated hitter. Absolutely. The yeah. sooner the better for the Mets. <laughs> That's oh, what yeah, I was thinking because between, like I said, between Cano, like you said, Cano, McNeil, you know, if Alonzo doesn't pan out defensively, I mean, who they have so much – they have so many options that they can put at the designated hitter on a daily basis. Right. <laughs> I was telling Craig the other day, if, the, if, this, if that was the case with the DH, Lucas Duda would still be on the team. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, now, Tim, this is my last question. Now, Craig, this is a question for you, too. I don't think I ever asked you this question, and this might be a, a dumb question to ask, but you know what? This is David Wright's first year in – 15, 16 years not being a player for the New York Mets. He's finally mm-hmm. retired as a player. Do the Mets retire his number? Not I this year, but in, in the in years to come. I think they absolutely retire his number. And yeah. I'll be honest, I, I'm not super familiar with Mets parameters for retiring numbers, like the standard you have to reach. I think they're pretty strict because there aren't a lot of retired numbers. There's only but... two players. Retired for the okay. Mets. Okay, I'll put it this way: if if David Wright, as much as he did and as beloved as he was and is, can't get his number retired, then what's the point? See, and that's and that's then the only reason. They I definitely ask, have an axe to grind against David Wright. We don't know but, what it is. And yet. the only reason I asked that question because I've asked Met fans before, and they were just like, "I don't know," just because Keith Hernandez's number isn't retired. You know, and he was a big part of that Mets team, too, but they didn't retire his number. So, yeah. like, we don't know about the David Wright, and it took so long for Piazza to get his number retired. Right. I, see, Keith Hernandez was from an era before me, so I can't, I, I'm not, I, I can't speak to, in the moment, how beloved he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are differences there. I'm not sure how their career numbers compare, but David Wright at least has going for him that he was, a career Met, whereas Keith Hernandez what, did not spend his entire career with the Mets. That's true. Um, so, that, so that is one advantage in, in, in Wright's column. But who, who the heck knows? Well, well, how about this? Fans love when popular players get their numbers retired, and it's a huge night for ticket sales. So they should do Keith. They should do Wright. <laughs> they should do a couple <laughs> other guys. It's basically free money. <laughs> Tim, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us on the show. Uh, thank you for all the knowledge uh, from Mets uh, training, from Mets spring training, and uh, we look forward to having you on again, maybe during the season. And um, you know, enjoy it out there. How's the weather? Pretty much, I heard it was raining today. Raining today, but a little cooler, and that's always welcomed. It's too hot in Florida for me, but I guess that's better than uh, the brutal winter. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, the temperature dropped once again today to like in the twenties. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dropped here to uh, the 60s, so uh, <laughs> that, it out. That, that, that stings, Tim. It really does. <laughs> Tim, thanks again for everything. I really appreciate you being on the show, man. All right, enjoy the rest of spring training, and we'll definitely talk to you again soon, okay? All right, thank you, guys. Thank right. you. That was Tim Healy, Mets beat writer for Newsday. Check out all of his stuff on a daily basis as he reports from Mets spring training. And um, there you go, man. I'm ready for spring training now. I I'm mean, I've already ready. Look. I think, you know, what the NFL tried to tease us a little bit. Football tried to tease us a little bit and say, oh, we got the AAF back for a week. No, I'm not. Look, I'm. <laughs> you I'm watch actually, the AAF when you have nothing to do. Exactly. Like, you know what it is? Like, if you're just sitting on, like, a Saturday night. Like, let's say you're with, you know, you're with Mrs. Clem, right? And she just falls asleep. 
And it, it happens. I mean, AAF time. Then you're just like, okay, I'm just going to watch AAF. I mean, what am I going to do? No, you know, my, I, my girlfriend fell asleep. Is nothing, I mean, if she's tired, she's tired. After this, after talking to Tim, I am all hyped up for Mets. And that's like that's training. what I love about interviews like this, though, is that like you know, the, just when you get that knowledge like from from Tim, it's just like it's awesome because it just it gets you more excited for the season. I'm so ready for the season. You I know, can't like, wait. So it's like I mean, I would love to go to like I've never been to Port St. Lucie, but I would love to go there just to watch a spring training game. I think it would be a lot of fun. You ever see Fever Pitch? Yes. You know the scene when they're watching and he, she, she sees Jimmy Fallon on TV. Oh, at going spring crazy! Training. That would be me at spring training. <laughs> I mean, that's like I mean, he's like, yeah, he's like, I, it's the Red Sox and breathing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the Red Sox, sex, then breathing. <laughs> like, it's like that movie. That movie's actually. But she's like, she's like, oh well, doctor, induce labor because the Oakland A's are coming to town, and my my husband has to go. And <laughs> right, I mean, there's there's a lot of good parts in that movie, but it, but again, that's what gets you excited for mm-hmm. spring training is just hearing about the players, hearing about what the options are, and you know the the options for the bullpen. And this is one season where I could say that I'm, you know, last year towards the end of the year, being a Mets fan for as long as you have and I have, you just get very defeated quickly because you just yeah. the Mets always kind of they feel like they let you down in a way. Yeah, and we had a glimmer of hope last year, winning twelve games in a row. We were like, oh my gosh, we can possibly do this. Yeah. But, but then, then again, what happened was quick. just, and I just think like Callaway kind of, you could tell like Callaway was a rookie manager at some spots, especially when the losing streak, it was like, he didn't know how to get them out of it. Yeah. And that was a telling sign for me as him as a manager to the point where I was saying, if the Mets finish below the Marlins, you have to fire Mickey Callaway. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what I had said all last season. Mets finished strong. Callaway got better, but then you just saw some of the additions bringing on Jim Riggleman as an experienced bench coach. Signing guys like Jed Lowry. See, the Mets did it a little differently. A lot of play, a lot of teams signed younger players. The Mets went after more vet, seasoned veterans. And they've done Cano, that. thirty-six years old. Lowry, I think, is thirty-four. Mm-hmm. You know, plus you know, throw in like Todd Frazier, who is in his thirties as well. Jason you know. Vargas is still here too. Yeah. And you know what? The Mets tried to do this in years past, but they they got players who already were done at this time. Like yeah. they were done. Like, but at least now, you know, Jed Lowry made his first All Star appearance last year. Cano can still rip the cover off the ball. Todd Frazier's a great voice to have in that locker room. Like, these are solid names to have. Like, and they're not young guys; they're older guys. Yeah. So, very excited for Mets spring training, and we thank Tim Healy very much for being on our show. Again, read his stuff every day. He'll be reporting from spring training as part as uh, for Newsday. So definitely check it out. We're going to take a very quick break. And we'll come back. We'll get into uh, some of the non-New uh, York stuff in the second hour of the Moffin on the Mic radio show, only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The number to call, as always, is 631-676-2968. That is 631-676-2968. As always, you can follow our show on Instagram at Moffin on the Mic, Twitter at Moffin on the Mic, and our Facebook page as well. We're going to take a very quick break, and we'll be back. we got stories about Magic Johnson, Bryce Harper, Justin Verlander, the Joe Flacco trade, and Kirk Cousins. So we'll be right back. Right here on the Moffat on the Mic Radio Show, only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Back after this. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, 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 you're listening to Moffat on the Mic on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Moffat on the Mic radio show, only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The number to call is always a 631-676-2968. That's 631-676-2968. As always, you can follow the show on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and our Facebook page as well. We just had Tim Healy on, Mets beat writer, 
for Newsday. Again, definitely check out his stuff. He'll be reporting on a daily basis from Met Spring Training in Port St. Lucie, courtesy of Newsday. All right, Clem, let's go uh, outside the tri-state area. This is our usual uh, non-New York stuff. Uh, five topics for the day. And a nice little, uh, nice little hodgepodge here, Clem. I'm actually like, you know, trying to find this stuff. Sometimes it can be a little difficult, but seek and ye shall find as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right, we'll start with some of the big news today. And the, probably the big, big story outside of New York and uh, New York sports in general was uh, Joe Flacco was traded today to the Broncos. Uh, that cannot be official until the league year begins on March 13th. The, Bron- the Ravens will receive a fourth-round pick as part of this deal, and um, which means that Case Keenum is most likely the odd man out in Denver because they're not going to commit that much money to two quarterbacks. There's also been a lot of talk that Elway is madly in love with Drew Locke from Missouri and could draft him 10th overall. Um, my thoughts on the Flacco trade are pretty simple. I don't love this trade for Denver at all. Really? I think it's – I don't understand. For me personally, I don't understand it. Um, I think it's pretty alarming that you would give up on Case Keenum so quickly after one year. I think that the Broncos receivers in general have definitely taken a step back. Emmanuel Sanders has been pretty good for them, but Demarius Thomas hasn't. Mm-hmm. And they don't really have a consistent threat at tight end. And outside of Philip Lindsay, um, you know, their running game isn't really a lot to – Royce Freeman was supposed to be a big part of that running game last year when they drafted him in the third round, and um, he really didn't do much. But overall, I think the only way Flacco is going to get better is if he has weapons, and right now I don't think he's going to have any weapons outside of Cortland Sutton because it's looking more likely that Emmanuel Sanders, I think, did he rupture his Achilles or tear his ACL? I don't know. I think I know he got hurt at the very end of the season, though. Either way, not good injuries. I don't know. Definitely not. And the thing is, is that – by cutting him, I think they save like $10 million towards the cap. So he's most likely going to get cut, which really only leaves you with Cortland Sutton and a, kind of a couple of question marks. And I've always thought that Flacco was very overrated. I understand that he won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens, but I've never seen him, I've never seen him be an elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to make the Denver Broncos any better than what they already have. Now, f- from what I read, Vic Fangio – really likes him. Vic Fangio is a new head coach of uh, mm-hmm. the Broncos. He really likes him, so I think that's why he pushed for the deal. And I think after this year, they can cut him. So basically, he's on a one-year audition for the Denver Broncos. You know, I really – I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I think Flacco's an upgrade from Case Keenum. And I think people are forgetting that, you know, before Flacco got injured last year and – Lamar Jackson took over for the Ravens. Flacco wasn't having an awful year. He wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't good, but it wasn't awful. Listen, in Baltimore's in Flacco's defense, the Ravens haven't exactly put a plethora of talent around him either. I mean, between if you look past a few years when he had Mike Wallace, Jeremy Macklin, Brashad pa- Perryman, they were all past their primes. And Brashad you know, Perryman, Michael stinks. Crabtree wasn't really that great for them last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are just to name a few. I mean, we can even go as far back as Torrey Smith and, you know, uh, man, whoever else is on. I mean, Steve Smith to, you know, Todd Heap and, you know, just goes on and on. Um, Just for me, though, I just don't think this makes the Broncos any better. And I think you took on a lot of salary for 
No reason. I don't think you're going to be as good as the Kansas City Chiefs next year. You're not going to be as good as San Diego Chargers next year. You're basically, right now, our third-place team. Look, I don't, and, you, I, and you may not have a lot of flexibility to do anything cap-wise because you're hemorrhaging a lot of money. Now, if you trade Case Keenum, I think that's one thing. And I think if they do trade Case Keenum, they there's still $3 million of his contract that sits under the cap. Mm-hmm. It's like a trade kicker. So it's like dead money. So to me, I just don't think the trade makes any sense from that level. For the Ravens... They were glad to part with Joe Flacco for basically a fourth-round pick because they know Lamar Jackson is their future. Now, here's the thing about Lamar Jackson that worries me, and that is I think Lamar Jackson has – I think he's a bit of a one-trick pony. Yes. Okay, right now all we, all we know that he can do is run. We don't know if he can do anything else. Can he pass on a consistent basis? I don't know. We can't sit here after one year and, you know – Declare these guys the franchise quarterback. We just can't. I can't sit here as a Jet fan and say Sam Darnold is a franchise quarterback right now. After one year, I can't. Not yet. I need to see more. Yeah, it's not even though he played a full year. He played seven games. And next year, here's the thing about, you know, again, this is what the same thing I always say about coaches and rookie quarterbacks. In your first year, you are playing with house money. Very rarely does a first-year head coach get fired. The last time it happened before Steve Wilkes, I think, was when Chudzinski got fired from the Browns. Mm-hmm. The fact is is that no team, I won't say no team, very rarely does a team fire a head coach first year unless either the coach is completely oblivious and has no idea what they're doing or – the coach has a falling out with the upper management. Those are the only two ways. You cannot expect the first-year head coach to put his plan into place in one year. Now, if the team looks totally inept, that's a different story. That was the problem with the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. Wilkes, that team looked incredibly inept on a weekly basis. And that team shouldn't have been that bad because they had a lot of talent. Fitzgerald, David Johnson, Chandler Jones, Patrick Peterson, Marcus Golden, just to name a few. Their offensive line stunk, and they had injuries. Ayupati turned out to be one of the worst signings I think they ever had because he's always hurt. Justin Pugh was hurt too. Yeah, They gave Justin Pugh a lot of money. To me, though, I can't sit here and say that the Denver Broncos got much better Simply because they got Joe Flacco. We, we, we kind of equate it to name. We hear a name and we're like, oh my God, you know, that's crazy. They got Joe Flacco? And then when you think about it, you start to say to yourself, eh, it's really not that great of a deal. You just get, you get excited for the name. And then after that, you start to say to yourself, eh, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know if Joe Flacco is going to be very good for the Broncos. He might. But the thing is, if you don't have Demarius Thomas and you cut Emmanuel Sanders, mm-hmm. who do you got? And that's yeah. where Joe Flacco is going to suffer. Yeah, and it's not like, you know, Cortland Sutton put up amazing numbers last year where they can be like, okay, this could be our guy. I'm try, uh, looking up Cortland Sutton's stats right now. I mean, he had – okay, he had 700 yards and four touchdowns. That's mm-hmm. not awful – 
but it's not enough to say we're all in on Cortland Sutton. You know, they yeah. still they still need talent around there. Phil Lindsay had a great season. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought I he thought he had a strong season. He was very good. I thought he should have come in second behind Saquon Barkley for rookie of the year. And you still you have Royce Freeman too. Royce Freeman played good until he got injured. Yeah. So it's you have a a good duo running back and you still a lot to prove from Cortland Sutton. You have nothing and again, else on that offense. Look at the end of the day, if you become more of a run oriented team. Then it may maybe maybe it helps Flacco a little bit, but this has become more of a pass happy league. Mm-hmm. And right now, Denver doesn't have the weapons to go with the quarterback. I personally don't hate it. I pers- I don't think it was a bad deal. I don't think it was a good deal though. Like it was right in the middle. I mean, listen for a fourth round pick, it's not really a big deal. I'm more concerned about taking on all that money. Yeah, that's my only concern. Number two, the NBA has ruled that Magic Johnson did not tamper with Ben Simmons after the Sixers forward was interested in learning from Johnson and to seek out advice to become a better player, in which Magic Johnson initially responded he would tutor Simmons, but it would have to be approved by the league. Mm. Okay. Here's my take on that. I respect Magic Johnson. I understand that he wants to, maybe he wants to help out a form, a, another player when Ben Simmons reaches out to him. Here's my only problem, though, with it. I don't never consider this tampering. To me, it wasn't. Tampering, I think, is more when if Magic Johnson's trying to convince him to come to the Lakers. That's tampering. Magic Johnson needs to focus on the Lakers. He does not need to focus on tutoring Ben Simmons. Why would you tutor Ben Simmons anyway? What if Ben Simmons wins a championship against you? Against your Lakers team? Now you look like a fool. Then you look like an idiot, right? I respect Magic Johnson a lot. I've always been a big fan of his. But that being said, though, Ben Simmons is also kind of an idiot, too, because he's reaching out to somebody he really shouldn't be. He should not be reaching out to Magic Johnson about advice. If you want to reach out to somebody for advice, why don't you talk to Julius Irving or talk to Allen Iverson? Talk to some Philly, you know, Sixers legends. Yeah. Charles Barkley. You know? Yeah, no Mike Jaminski. Yeah, there's no I mean, need to talk to Magic Johnson. I mean, look, I get... Manute Bowl. Yeah. Oh, he's, I, think, I think he's dead. Oh, <laughs> so maybe that's not a good idea. Matumbo. But, um, but, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's no. Look, I kind of get why you want to talk to Magic Johnson. He's considered one of the greatest players of all time. You and him, you kind of have the same. You play the same kind of style of basketball. I get why you want to do that, but there's no need to do that. Didn't, didn't Hornacek play for the Sixers? Yes. No. Maybe. I thought I, I get the feeling that Hornacek played. For, didn't Sean Bradley play for the play for the Sixers? He got drafted by the Sixers, didn't he? Sean Bradley, I believe he did. I don't think he got drafted by the Mavericks. We'll see what Jeff Hornacek played. I feel like I. I feel like Jeff Hornacek did play for them. He did for two years. Johnny, Three years. Johnny Dawkins, Hersey Hawkins. I mean, man, I could go on and on. Sean Bradley. I mean, you want to go to some Philadelphia, like, you know, former Philadelphia players, those are the guys you go to. Sean Bradley played three years for the 76ers. Elton Brand. Elton Brand was a big part of the 76ers. I'm just saying that, like, listen, I, I respect what Ben Simmons is trying to do, like just trying to gain knowledge from – a Hall of Fame player like Magic Johnson. But Magic Johnson is running the Lakers, and quite frankly, Magic Johnson should know better because your job right now is to make the Lakers a better team. 
And right now the Lakers stink. Mm-hmm. And you're too busy worrying about the Pelicans not being in good faith and trades and all that stuff. But the fact is, is that instead of wasting your time trying to teach a player who's not even on your team, you need to focus on being the general manager or the president, whatever your title is for the Lakers to make them a better team. Absolutely. You have to absolutely focus on that because right now you have so much drama with the Lakers with regarding to AD, LeBron, Lonzo Ball, all this kind of stuff. Focus on your own team, then worry about Ben Simmons and the 76ers. Yeah. You, you know you know when you should start worrying about Ben Simmons and the 76ers? When you play them in the NBA Finals. Thank you. That's when you should start worrying about Ben Simmons. For right now, you want to talk to him in the offseason? Talk to him in the offseason. That's fine. Not during the season. Worry about the worry I mean, about you're talking about spending time in the gym with this guy. Or maybe, I mean, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe talking about, but like, there are a million other players Ben Simmons can get advice from. And I'm not saying that that's not a knock against Magic Johnson, the player. Magic Johnson was an amazing player for the Lakers. And I'm sure he would have plenty of, you know, great knowledge to throw on Ben Simmons. Yeah. But Magic Johnson's primary job right now is to focus on making the Lakers a contender again, not tutoring a guy on another team that could beat you in a final. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I'm the owner of the Lakers, I'd be pissed off that he's even considering it. Because then you're not doing your job. I'm paying you to be the general manager. I'm not paying you to be a tutor to Ben Simmons. Number three, Bryce Harper is reportedly not willing to take a short-term deal and is still seeking a $300 million contract. Best of luck with that. The Giants are the latest team to show interest in Bryce Harper, which actually would be a good signing for the Giants if they really wanted to. I think it would be a great signing. They need and it gets them out of the NL East too. Oh yeah, I mean that would be. A, I mean that's a huge plus if they can get them out of the NL East. I could care less where Bryce Harper signs as long as it's not the Phillies. But even if he was with the Phillies, I ask myself all the time, what makes Bryce Harper so great? You know what? And I was start. I think it was either the, the Monday we started uh, talking about Bryce Harper, and I was really thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? He's really not that consistent of a player. He's injured quite a lot. Like, does he make your team that much better? I mean, look, he's great. But he has up and down years every single year since since he won the MVP four years ago. And the thing is, I could care less about the ticket sales. I mean, yeah, anybody could go sell tickets. I'm, I'm, that's fine. But does Bryce Harper make your team that much better? He did not win a thing in Washington. He did not, and that team was stacked up and down. I don't even think he made it to an NLCS in Washington. No. No. Yes. He he did? Yeah, they made it one year when the Dodgers went to the series in 17. They were in the world. The the, the Nationals were in the NLCS? I'm. Look that up. 64% sure. 2017. That doesn't help me. (laughs) That means you're 36% not wrong. The Dodgers won. I was right there. But I don't think that was an NLCS series, was it? Ah, no, it was. I didn't think so. 2017 was the Cubs. Last year was the Brewers. I could have swore they did. But do you see what I mean, though? Yeah. He's never made it to an NLCS, let alone a World Series. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. So can I sit there if I'm the Phillies? Like, if you think about it, that's not a bad argument as to why you don't sign Bryce Harper, right? Because... He's never won anything. 
And the Washington Nationals were a very talented team. You had the rotation. Argue, you can argue that Matt Williams was part of the reason why they were so bad. They were like that they didn't win because Matt Williams is a terrible manager. But they had Daniel Murphy who was raking. Mm-hmm. Not to mention Rendon. Not to mention Zimmerman who had a career year last year. Or the year before, not in the last. Last year wasn't really that great. You had Wilson Ramos. Trey Turner, Wilson Ramos. Uh, what's the the rook, the kid that they have also, Defoe? Is that his name? Oh, uh, Soto? Is that his name? I, I can't remember. Not, you, there is a Defoe, but he stinks. All right, <laughs> and then maybe it's Soto then. I, I stand corrected. Pretty strong bullpen. I mean, they were, they were a very good team. Very good. But like, again, like I asked myself, Bryce Harper has not won a damn thing. And if you're coming and you're going to – if he's going to take $300 million from the Phillies or one of these other teams, you better deliver a championship. Yeah. Because then otherwise I'm getting ripped off. And he's he's always – he's never really fully healthy. He's inconsistent. I mean, look, he's been in the league since 2012, and he's had four – no. Yeah, four healthy seasons. Again, I, I just nothing crazy. I can understand why teams don't, aren't aren't like going batshit to sign him. He's had I, four. I, he's had four healthy seasons. He hit over three hundred twice, and the the two out of the last three years he's hit under two fifty. Yeah, if I'm, I, bra- I, just, I just don't get it. Make me understand it. Is I guess my question, my, my point. I think look, my buddy always tells me. Like as good as his bat is, he will. He, the power numbers are there for Harper. He'll hit you a hundred RBIs. He'll hit you twenty. He'll hit you thirty but plus home runs. But here's the thing that bothers me about Bryce Harper, and this is why I think you know when we used to do when Matt and I used to do the knob tournament, mm-hmm. it made perfect sense to have him in it because th- this doesn't make any sense to me. He turns down a three hundred million dollar offer from the Washington Nationals. Okay, they gave him a ten year three hundred million dollar deal just like he wanted. He turns it down, and I assumed he thought he was going to get more. And now you want $300 million. But I'm saying, like, at the end of the day, do you want to go to Washington or do you not want to go to Washington? Yeah, make up your mind. I mean, maybe because Boris had sold him on the fact that he was going to be a $400 million player and not what the average he had last year he wasn't. But I'm saying, like, $300 million, that's the best you're going to get, which means me to believe that you don't want to stay in Washington. You want to move on. Mm-hmm. But nobody wants you. Mm-hmm. Or they're just taking their sweet-ass time to get you signed. I don't know. But to me, I just don't really see the hoopla around Bryce Harper. I think he's a, he's a great player, but I just think he's never won anything. And is this a guy I want to invest a ton of money in who's never won anything? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Look, he won the MVP once. That's great. But he's never, other than that one MVP, he hasn't even finished in the top 10 in MVP voting. Number four kind of lead is like kind of in a continuation of number three. Okay. Okay. Justin Verlander and Chris Sale ripped Major League Baseball for the free agent offseason where players such as Harper Machado and Craig Kimball remain unsigned. Sale said that teams are basically more interested in collecting checks than competing. Verlander said that the system is broken and doesn't buy the rebuilding excuse that most teams are, are giving. Verlander made an interesting kind of correlation. He said that if you're rebuilding, why wouldn't you rebuild with Harper or Machado and give them – a ton of money to come to your team. Yeah. Here's the problem with it though. It's a two way street. It's a two way street mm-hmm. because if I'm the Kansas city Royals and I'm like, okay, I want to rebuild, but I want to build around Bryce Harper. 
So I'm going to give him a $300 million contract. I'll even give you 325 for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Harper will say, I don't want to go play in Kansas City. Yeah. It's a two-way street. And it's, you know what? What hasn't been reported, like you said, we only heard one report that came out for Manny Machado from the White Sox, and we heard that the Nationals gave Bryce Harper an offer. There could, for all we know, there could be 30, there could be 29 other offers out there we just haven't heard of yet. Yeah. We just haven't heard of it yet. So, I mean, it's not like, I think, I think that you're absolutely right. It's not that we don't know, you know, who, Who's Here's going a, after him? We just don't. Here's the way I look at it. Players are pissed because teams have found a loophole. Teams have found a way to not pay these guys a ton of money. Because the thing is, it's not like NFL contracts. You pay $300 million for a player, you're going to pay the guy $300 million. Mm-hmm. It may be backloaded a certain amount of you for a couple of years and you know maybe deferred payments and all that stuff. It's a lot of you know jargon in these contracts. And it was funny because I had a friend who went to law school. And he did, a co- he did a class on contracts, and he actually looked at an MLB contract, what an actual Major League Baseball contract looked like. He was like, it's crazy. Like all the wording and all the little like technical details and everything, he goes, it's crazy to read. It's huge. But the thing is, we can't sit there. We can't let – listen, I respect Justin Verlander's opinion. Chris Sale was mostly sounding off because the Red Sox – pretty much said that they're, they're not going to sign Craig Kimbrell to a big contract. He still wants a big deal. They don't think he's going to sign him. So Chris Sale kind of you know railed against Major League Baseball for that. I don't think it's the league's fault. I just think that team owners have realized that they're just not going to spend the kind of money for these players anymore because they don't think they're worth it. The revenue sharing is another issue that needs to be addressed because it is a little ridiculous that teams like the Rays, the Marlins, the Pirates, the Reds, all these teams that don't compete and don't go out and sign players just collect that money mm-hmm. and do nothing with it. I can understand the players being pissy about that. But you can't sit there and kind of give a one-sided argument that it's the league's fault that these guys aren't signed. Harper and Machado should be signed. In a perfect world, they would have been signed by now. But like I said before, I think there are a lot of teams that know right when free agency starts that they have no chance at any of those guys. Mm -hmm. Bryce Harper and Manny Machado know exactly where they want to go. Yeah, look at like the athletics. They absolutely probably, I mean, they definitely threw out an offer to Manny Machado, but they they know in the back of their mind that they're not going to get Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. No. The Twins or the Royals, like you said, the Reds. None of these teams are going to go after these guys. Even teams like the Cleveland Indians aren't going to go after them because they don't want to play there. I don't understand why that's so hard for guys like Justin Verlander and even maybe Chris Sale to understand. So we could sit here and rail against the system and say, well, it's ridiculous that Machado and Harper are not signed or Keuchel's not signed, Moustakis and Kimbrell. And you're right. But it is a two-way street because if I'm the owner of the San Diego Padres and I've made an offer to Bryce Harper and I said, we want you here, here's what we're prepared to offer you. I'm going to offer you a 10-year deal for $325 million, I'll go 330 I want you to lead the rebuild of the San Diego Padres. Bryce Harper is going to sit there and go, Ugh, Padres? 
Absolutely. And it's not because of the city. The city's a beautiful city because a lot of players that go and live there don't want to leave because it's a it's one of the it's one of those beautiful cities in all of America. But it's just the fact of Harper being in a Padres uniform. Being a San Diego Padre does not for marketing purposes is not the greatest move for a guy like Bryce Harper. A 26-year-old player in his prime that hasn't won anything. So he's not going to go there. Just like Manny Machado is not going to go to the Chicago White Sox. And Bryce Harper is probably not going to go to the Philadelphia Phillies. And then, of course, when you take teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox who have no interest in spending that kind of money, Bryce Harper's screwed. Mm -hmm. Because where is he going to go? Yeah, and then it goes to those second-rate teams that it's like, well, I guess I got to go to San Diego. Well, I guess I got to go to San Francisco. Like Eric Hosmer, to me, settled for San Diego. I don't think he ever wanted to go there. Yeah. I think they were the only team that were going to offer him the kind of money he wanted. So he took the money. And I'm not blaming Eric Hosmer for doing that. I'd do the same thing if I was Eric Hosmer. Yeah. But there's no way that Eric Hosmer sat there and said, man, I really want to be a padre. There's no way. I think, you know, the same thing goes for Mike Moustakis last year. Look, Mike Moustakis was great, but I don't think he wanted to go to the Milwaukee. Milwaukee, He was, look, I mean, before last year, Milwaukee was an eh team. Mm-hmm. And they, look, it, it turned out that Milwaukee is look, look, looking like the Well, now they're a legit there. contender. Yeah, exactly. But I, 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 like you said about Hosmer, I don't think Moustakis was, like, was all too happy about something. I think he settled for Milwaukee. It just happened to turn out that they were a stud team. So, like I said... I understand Verlander's argument. I understand Sale's argument, but this can't be fixed. There's no way to fix this. Teams have figured it out, and the players are pissed because the players are not going to get the contracts they feel they deserve. Where the the owners are like, "Well, we're just not in that. We're in that frugal marketplace." Mm-hmm. It's almost like an MLB recession, <laughs> if you think about it, right? Because guys aren't the top two free agents on the market are still available. You can even argue the top three if you throw Keuchel in there. Top four with Kimbrel. Thank you. <laughs> and look and think about how long it took AJ Pollock to sign. Yeah. We're in the middle of an MLB recession. This is a this is a recession, a league recession. Teams would rather keep the money than spend it on guys they just don't deem worthy, or they know that there's no way that Bryce Harper or Manny Machado are going to any of those small market teams. Doesn't matter what they offer. I always said, remember when we were talking about this at the beginning of the offseason with Manny Machado? Mm-hmm. And Jeff had called in, and we were like, we were talking about it, and he's like, well, if the Mets don't get Manny Machado. And I just said it point blank. I don't think Manny Machado wants to play here. I think he wants to play for the Yankees, and only the Yankees. I don't think he wants to play for the Mets. Okay, and people like to say, oh, the Mets and Yankees, it's the same market. It is not the same market. No. It is not the same market. The Yankees are the dominant team in New York. Everybody knows that. This is not nothing new. If a player has a choice between going to the Yankees and going to the Mets, they're going to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's nothing disrespectful against the Mets. It's just players view the Mets as a small market New York team. When in reality, they're not. But that's how they view them as. But in reality, they've kind of been. Mm-hmm. Went under Alderson because he didn't like to spend money on anything. Yeah. Only this year with Brody... They now have the seventh highest payroll in the league. Yeah. 
So you can't really sit there and say they're not spending money when they have the seventh highest payroll in the league. And yes, compared to the other teams, I, I get that part, but it's still the fact is if the Mets were 15th in payroll, then I could understand Met fans being pissed off. Mm-hmm. They're seventh. And this is what we're dealing with, folks. It's a league recession because none of the owners want to sign these guys. Or if they do, it's going to be a very team-friendly team friendly deal. But the longer this drags out, because this is worse than last year. Yeah, this is absolutely worse. I mean, look, not saying, you know, Eric Hosmer and Mike Mustarks aren't big names. They are, but they're not on the, level, the same level as Harper and Machado. And they're holding out longer than these guys are. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. But, it really is. And like I said, I think if Machado wanted to go to Philadelphia, he would have signed by now. I think if Harper wanted to go to Philadelphia, he would have signed by now. I don't think they want to go to Philadelphia, man. I really don't. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And the other teams just aren't good enough. And I think if they do go to Philadelphia, one of these teams, they're going to be settling for these teams. Yeah. I don't think, you know, and I and when players like that settle, I think that creates too much drama around the team. And by the way, I think Kapler's getting fired soon. Mm. He keeps getting into trouble. It's like these weird stories that keep coming out. He seems really shady. Some story about like he didn't report a domestic violence incident or something like that, like from a year ago. Mm. Then the incident with uh, there was another incident earlier in the season. I think Kapler Kapler is a he's, he seems like a very shady character. But look. They'll get signed eventually, but it's going to be on the other team's terms. And I think that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and the union can bitch and moan all about they want about it. It ain't going to do a damn thing. Yeah, I think you're the owners right. are going to be like, if we want to sign them, we'll sign them. But at the end of the day, like I, if I was a Cincinnati Reds owner, I'd say, I'd say, okay, let's call it like it is. If I offered Bryce Harper three hundred thirty million dollars to come to Cincinnati, you think he's coming to Cincinnati? No. That's what I'd ask Scott Boris right to his face, <laughs> and I guarantee you the answer will be no. He would take that offer and use it as leverage against the Yankees or the Dodgers to try to get it up to like 350 or 400. And that's a fact. Finally, number five, Kirk Cousins asked Vikings fans in a tweet what they would prefer he give away. And the choices were a signed jersey, a signed football, a signed mini helmet, or other. Other. Now, you could imagine Vikings fans choosing other and then writing in what they thought he should give away. Would you like to hear some of the responses? Yes. <laughs> Would love to hear some of these responses. Just, these are that's what I love. I love fans. Fans are funny as hell, man. I think they're hilarious, some of them. Okay. Here are five. One is not really an a a, a selection, it's more like something else. Give away anything but the ball. <laughs> One fan wrote, how about you give the Vikings back $33 million? <laughs> One fan wrote, give yourself away to another team. Jeez. Harsh, right? After one year. Give away some of that cap space. And then finally somebody just wrote, this is not going to end well for you. He's <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. No, he's not wrong. And the thing is, Kirk Cousins had a bad season with Minnesota. 
So Kirk Cousins should have known not to put a loaded question on Twitter. Okay. Oh, my God. That's a bit extreme. You can't put a loaded question like that to a fan base in Twitter. That's why I said the worst job in all of sports is a team social media writer, like a Facebook person, because if you're a face, especially when you're a Jets Facebook person, oh, my God. The guy, it's like trying to make so- – you're trying to make something out of like, you know, oh, well, we, we're really excited for, you know, ah, this team's going to stink. I can only imagine if, like, he was on, like, the Bills or the Raiders – those fans would have tore him apart. The Raiders, forget it. They would have slashed his tires. <laughs> the Raider fans would have slashed his tires. It was like you ever see like uh, the replacements with Keanu Reeves when yeah. he plays like the the when they flip yeah. when they keep flipping his car over. <laughs> that'll be that'll be the Raider fans because they'll find his car. I'm not oh, worried. Absolutely, I, it's not that hard. I'm sure it's not that hard. You just go in the players' lots right by there. It can't be too hard to find Kirk Cousins' car, <laughs> right? But I totally think that too. Because now look. Kirk Cousins had a bad season. He did. He was not very – he didn't look very comfortable in that offense. Mm-hmm. The Vikings, The Vikings, I thought, were an unbelievably disappointing team this year because a lot of people picked them to win, go to the Super Bowl. And especially with the lineup of Stephon Diggs and Thielen and, you know, Dalvin Cook, and they, they really should have gone further than what they did. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I'm so glad the Jets didn't sign Kirk Cousins. I'm glad the Jets didn't sign Kirk Cousins because it really showed how much of an ass he was on that documentary mm-hmm. when he basically admitted that he was leveraging the Vikings with the Jets offer. So he had never had any intention of signing with the Jets. It was just to get to the Minnesota Vikings. It's a bad guy. So in that sense, I'm happy they didn't sign him. I would have been perfectly fine with Kirk Cousins as my quarterback if they had signed him if he really wanted to be here. If he really wanted to be in New York. I mean, look, I wanted Kirk Cousins. I'm not going to lie. I wanted him. But I can't be – I'm not surprised. And, Vi- and, like, Viking fans, you guys rock. I just want to say that right <laughs> now. And I hope this show gets out to people in Minnesota because I really, like, honestly, Vikings fans – any team's fans to me, like, when they're, like, that pessimistic, like, frustrated fan. Because it had to be frustrating for a Vikings fan last year when you were – Projected to go to the Super Bowl in, a, in some areas. Yeah, you and, were one game away from going to the Super you know, Bowl. To win the before. NFC, you know, to win the NFC West, uh, North. Yeah, and then you arguably and, get a, an upgrade at quarterback with Kirk Cousins, and then you have an 8-7-1 and one season. And you give him a fully guaranteed contract, too. It's tough. Maybe he turns it around this year. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, I think, you know, Vikings, but. Vikings still have a good defense. The yeah, wep- still have a good defense. The weapons are still there. I just think that. He for the amount of money you're paying him, you got to play better than that. Oh yeah, because it's Absolutely. on you. You can't blame it on anything else. I mean, Adam Thielen was one of his, arguably the best receiver in the game this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I always I always like to look back at the draft when the Redskins drafted him. You drafted him in the fir- fourth round, and they drafted. Never thought they were nuts. I thought they were crazy. I was like, you drafted two quarterbacks. Who but who ever does that? It was one of the smartest moves ever made. Oh, absolutely. Because RG3, obviously, RG3 was a bust. I mean, he had, like, a little nice little run, but he couldn't stay healthy. And once those injuries start piling up, man, you're mm-hmm. done. Like, you're done. Absolutely right. So. Here, I got a question for you. This is go. completely off topic. Go. I, l- listened to, I listened to the radio the other day, and there, someone called in. They were talking about Barry Bonds being in the Hall of Fame. So, which made me think, and they mentioned Pete Rose. So, then it made me think, you know, who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more? Pete Rose or Barry Bonds? Hmm. <laughs> wow. The other day I heard there was an argument between Matt and Keith mm-hmm. about Pete Rose. 
Matt was saying that P. Rose doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because he was a singles hitter. That's all he was. Singles hitter. So what? 3,000 hits. Yeah. 5,000 hits, I think. Whatever yeah. whatever it was. I, I don't I, – I barely was <laughs> – I could barely remember P. Rose, to be honest. I caught him at the end of his career, and that was like when I was like 9 or 10 years old. Um, I mean, P. Rose deserves to get in on that alone. Barry Bonds – listen, he broke the home run record. So in that sense, I would let him in. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's getting blackballed because of the whole steroid thing. Even though I don't know if it was ever publicly like confirmed that he did it. However, I don't like cheaters in baseball. Like, you know, that's why McGuire never got in. Yeah. Cuz McGuire wouldn't McGuire would never, you know, they know he they know he was juicing. But I mean, I, you can make an argument for both. I hate getting these Hall of Fame arguments, you know, because, like, I, I just don't like them. I mean, I was listening to it, and I, like, I mean, cheating aside, I mean, not cheating aside, I think Pete Rose deserves to be more in the Hall of Fame than Barry Bonds does. I mean, Barry, I mean, Pete Rose, the player, did nothing wrong. Pete Rose, the manager, did a lot wrong. Did a lot wrong. But, I mean,. You can't knock what he did. He was he's one of the, he's considered one of the greatest hitters of all time. And I really think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more than Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds the player cheated. I mean it's never it's not confirmed, but I mean they know. They know. Yeah, like we're not If you look at Barry Bonds when he was on the Pirates, yeah, to now. It's like, you know you watch wrestling. Remember when Triple H was Hunter Hearst Helmsley? Yeah. Remember how like th- like thin he was? Like he wasn't really like that and all of a sudden he just like jacked yeah okay i don't know i'm not gonna sit here and accuse triple h of doing steroids but it looks a little alarming it was the same thing i was said about scott steiner yeah, scott steiner guy. looks like a hot mess and the thing is watching scott steiner walk down to the aisle like i feel bad mm-hmm. because it looks like it takes him forever it's like you know it looks like it takes him like a half an hour to get down there and that's a small ramp to the ring on impact wrestling they don't exactly have wwe <laughs> budget to for a ramp but Watching him the way he is, mm-hmm. the way he can barely move, he definitely was juicing. Oh, you can tell. I remember you, I usually I watch WWE videos online all the time, and one of them is, you know, most shocking like debuts or comebacks or whatever. One of them was Scott Steiner, and he flexes his arms, and I'm just like, oh yeah, this guy's on steroids. I never watched him wrestle, but I was I can easily tell he this guy I was, was on steroids. Today I was like, I, sometimes when I'm on my lunch hour at work, I like to just kind of walk around and stuff, like the city and stuff, just to kind of like get out of the office, kind of yeah. like, you know, get some air or whatever. So I brought my phone and I was listening to um, YouTube has a these guys, uh, they're called Behind the Titan Tron, mm-hmm. and they have these really awesome scandal stories. And they're great to listen to. I mean, they're just journalistic stories. That's all they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like you can formulate your own opinion at the end of the day. And they were talking about stuff like, why ECW failed when Vince McMahon took over. Then it was, um, and part of the reason why was because Rob Van Dam got busted on a drive and he was with uh, Sabu in West Virginia and he got busted with like 18 grams of pot. Jesus. (laughs) And he had like pills on him and stuff and that was right after he became like ECW champion and they dropped the belt on him a week later because that's why he's like, he loved, like apparently he's like very big into smoking pot. And stuff. 
which I don't blame him for, by the way, because at least you're not taking like perks all the time. I mean, the smoking pot, I think, is 10 times better for you than taking perks all day. But if you ever want to see them on YouTube, they're they're really good. Like they're really, really good uh, special. Like they're like 10-minute videos. You know, they did one on uh, – there was one about there was like a like a plane ride home for like WWE guys. Mm-hmm. It was like the last day of a of like a really long tour, and Vince McMahon chartered a flight, and um, <laughs> they got all the wrestlers got completely drunk on the flight, mm-hmm. like just beyond intoxicated. That they were all hitting on the waitress, like with the stewardess, and telling them, like, yeah, when all said and done, you're going to be having sex with me tonight and all that stuff. Each one was taking turns doing it. <laughs> and then at one point, like, Kurt Hennig, like, Mr. Perfect, and Brock Lesnar got into, like, a wrestling match on the flight, and they hit the door so hard, they almost knocked it off while they were 30,000 feet in the air. Because <laughs> they, like, it turned into, like, what started as, like, a BS, like, little, like, grappling thing turned into, like, a full blown wrestling match Jesus. on the flight. It's like they're they're really good. Like you should, if you definitely get a chance, while listen to them, they're funny as hell. Uh, speaking of wrestling, did you hear the Sandman made a wrestling appearance? The, uh, the I think it was yesterday. Where at? Uh, Tommy Dreamer is doing Major League Wrestling. That's uh, that's uh, the Heart Foundation's league. They oh created. yeah, it's in, they do shows in Queens. They do shows in Flushing. They did. Yeah, they had a show last night, and it was promo that Tommy Dreamer had a mystery partner. Who comes out? Sandman. How's he looking these days? He's looking like the Sandman. Literally looking like like he hasn't skipped a beat. Looked like he did f- ten uh, like fifteen years ago. It's crazy. I saw the video. I saw the pictures. I'm like, this guy literally has not aged. He looks the same as he did fifteen years ago. The crazy thing is, like when I was watching that behind the Titan Tron thing, when they were talking about ECW and mm-hmm. why it failed, and there was a lot of reasons why it failed, but when McMahon shut it down. In 2000, I think it was 2002 or something like that, like 2001, 2002. Or, and he brought it, the, like a shortly after, created NXT, which was basically ECW without the hardcore stuff, but those guys were just putting their bodies on the line. And, and it, it kind of is like that now, the way you see it. I mean, look, I, if you look back, for people listening, look back at the, the Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano feud in 2018. Those were some of the craziest matches I've seen in a long time, since probably some ECW matches where they took out weapons. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa ripped apart the t- uh, the mat where it was just wood and was DDTing Gargano. All this crazy stuff. And even now with like crazy flips with Ricochet, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Aleister Black, all these guys. It It's kind of like a watered-down ECW almost, but with still with the craziness. Yeah. And it's it, I love it. That's why I think, and that's why people love NXT. One other quick note before we get out of here: um, uh, there's a report that NXT will not be called Takeover, Ferrania, that it's going to be called Blacklist. Ooh. NXT Blacklist. Okay, did, Keith oh, just sent me that message on uh, Facebook. Did I tell you I'm going to? Yeah, you Takeover. Did. Okay. Yeah, you did. I can't wait for that. Right, no, no stalking, uh, Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafir, right? I'm fine. I need you here. So it's like, you know. I'm fine with I'm look, I'm never pro- forget your obligations, okay? Your obligations <laughs> to this show, not to not to Rhonda. Look, I'm fine with uh not going after Justin Duke <laughs> and Maria Shafir because well, first of all, Justin uh Justin Duke dates Shayna Baszler. Oh, really? Yeah, they date. And 
Maria Shafir is not that I knew that. Like I didn't think like not that Shayna Baszler came out and said like I'm a lesbian, um, but I had a feeling there was something like you know because she's such like a, I mean, she's an incredible mixed martial artist. I mean, yeah. just like the chokeholds alone, I, I mean that girl, is, that woman is scary. That that girl could beat up guys. Oh yeah. Okay. And. I didn't know that Jessamyn Duke was uh, then her were a couple. Yeah, the only going. other person I heard that was gay in WWE was uh, Sonya so Deville. She's the only one who's out, who's yeah. officially out. But I mean, like, if you follow, I mean, I don't think like you know it's been reported that like they date or whatever on uh, on NXT. But like, if you follow them on social media, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, Maria Shafir is married to Roderick Strong. Really, I th- th- that's interesting. Yeah, they have a, they, yeah they have two kids together, I believe. Wow. Yeah, they're married. That's got to be tough on the road though for them, unless they live in Florida where they tape NXT. Well, so. yeah. So I mean, yeah, it would make sense because they don't have to go anywhere, and the only times they would have to go anywhere is when it w- it's a takeover. So every four months, right. it's not that bad then, I guess. But that's not confirmed yet. But apparently, the rumor is it's going to be called NXT Blacklist because they've done so many NXT Takeover Brooklyn's. I just I think it's going to be called NXT Takeover Blacklist. What I heard is it's going to be called NXT Takeover New York. Not it's not going to be called Brooklyn. It's just going to be called New York. Yeah, maybe we'll see. But well, we love to stay, but we got to go. And you've been listening to the Moffat on the Mic Radio Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night, 10 p.m. to midnight, right here. As we said on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, special thank you to Tim Healy, Mets beat writer for Newsday, for coming on the show and talking some Mets baseball with us, spring training. Very excited to have baseball back. Um, Definitely read his stuff. He'll be reporting pretty much every day from Mets uh, training camp, Mets spring training. And so definitely read his stuff. It is awesome. Uh, Thank you to Speedy for calling in earlier on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you to Clem for holding it down like you normally do. And uh, Friday night. It'll just be probably a random. Maybe we'll do some AAF preview. Okay, I'm down for AAF stuff. <laughs> I <have> no idea. <laughs> maybe. Oh, we can talk about. I mean, we talked. See if we could squeeze it in. I mean, we uh, talked about it a little bit yesterday with Andrew Rosano. We can give our uh, elimination chamber picks. We can do that, and uh, we'll also do as on our Fridays. We'll do the Urban Dictionary Word of the Week. So. Once again, thank you for everybody for checking us out on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, whether on Klim's Periscope feed, Facebook Live, or the live stream on the TuneIn app as well. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight. Follow us on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and our Facebook page as well. Again, on behalf of Chris Klim, I am Craig Moffat, and you've been listening to the Moffat on the Mic radio show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Have a great Thursday, and we'll be back Friday night, 10 p.m. to midnight right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Have a great one, everybody. Talk to you Friday. You're you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.